But if you think it's interesting when you take a sip of wine, you're like, oh, that's a familiar note. I don't, that reminds me of something. I'm not quite sure what that is. And you take another sip and it's like, oh, like my grandfather in Cape Cod had an old cigar box in the closet and we used to store our doll clothes in there and the smell of that old cigar box, I'm getting that in this wine and I like it. (laughs) That's a very specific and true one out of my brain. I always get questions on this topic. Nikki, should I age this wine? Why do we age wine? How do I know if a wine is going to be better or turn to vinegar? (laughs) Will I like it? All of those things have come at me for years working in wine and as a wine educator. So I thought we'd kick off the solo series here of me breaking down topics with you um, with that very topic. So In today's episode, we'll talk about the things that make wine age-worthy and how you know and uh, what you should expect from a wine that's young versus something that has a little bit of age on it. I'm going to taste a very cool wine in our sip spotlight, and I have created a wine tips cheat sheet, um, a free downloadable one-sheeter that actually has a graph that accompanies today's quick breakdown So you can go to sipwithnikki forward slash resource, and you can actually grab that there. I'll send it right to your inbox. And here is the lowdown on aging wine. So one of the questions, or at least a version of this question that I have received the most in over 10 years as a wine educator, and whether it's leading virtual tastings or in-person tastings or just consulting with friends and family, people always want to know about aging wine. They're like, what is the deal with that, Nikki? How do I know if I should? And is it better? And and all of those questions. So I thought we'd break that down today and keep it super simple. Talk about how does age affect wine? Now, I'm going to give some generalizations that are just uh, hopefully easy to understand, and then we'll get a little bit more specific. And then we're going to do a sip spotlight, of course, and I have a wine with a little bit of age on it today. So we'll talk about that and then hopefully give you some tips to move forward so that you can just understand why you should or shouldn't age um, so that you can get the most enjoyment out of whatever it is that's in your glass, right? So we're going to think of it in three categories that um, help us think about aging wine. The first one, when you say, well, how do I know if this is a wine that's ageable and it's going to get better with time and turn to vinegar? Chemistry, my friends. And this is one of those instances in life where chemistry is our friend. And I promise to keep it very simple, but there are different chemical components that make up a wine. And sometimes you'll hear them referred to as structure or structural components. I think of them like the picture frame. So if you think of a picture frame having four corners, most of them do, in wine, those four corners in the frame are tannin, acidity, alcohol, and the body or the weight of the wine. Tannin, alcohol, body, acidity, okay? Those four things kind of hold the wine together. And then inside the picture frame, there's fruitiness and aromas and um, all of those sort of sensory things. But the chemistry is holding it all together. And that, my friend, is what determines how a wine ages and if it should be one that you do age, right? 
So the two main corners on that frame that make a wine sort of age-worthy, if we keep it super simple, are the acidity, the natural acidity in the wine. The tartness is what you perceive it as, as a drinker. It makes you make that noise. And different wines have different levels of acidity based on where they were grown and when they were picked. And then, of course, tannin. Tannin we know to be as what seems like bitter or chalky or astringency in our mouth. It comes from the skin of the grapes. And red wine has a lot more tannin in it coming from the skins, which are kept in contact with the wine during the winemaking process. Whereas most white wines have little to no tannin because in most white wine production, we crush the grapes and we take the juice away from the skins immediately. Then we work with that juice to become wine and therefore there's no tannin. So what can we infer just from that alone? Generally speaking, red wine is going to have more ageability than white um, because of that chemical component, tannin, right? Now, I have to preface, like I always do, you will hear me say lots of generally speaking, generally speaking, I will use that term, because it's a generalization and and things can vary and things can change, but I just want to give you some really easy rules. So there's your first takeaway. Generally speaking, most red wines are going to have more longevity or ageability in a bottle than white, but we're going to break that down a little bit more. Number two Storage, okay? So the main thing that affects aging of wine is also how and where you're storing it, temperature. If you are going to hold on to a wine for any length of time, more than a couple months, you really want to think about the temperature of where it's being stored. And slower aging will come as a result generally of lower temperature, which is why people have either super fancy, you know, wine cellars that are temperature controlled and humidity controlled, or for most of us, we have a wine fridge that maybe we bought at Costco or Wine Enthusiast, which is one of my favorite catalogs. I have a 300 bottle wine fridge here in my house and it it hangs out at about 55 to 60 degrees and any wines that we're going to hang on to for more than a couple months they are in there because a lower temperature is going to slow the rate of quote aging and also the main thing is you don't want fluctuations in temperature cuz that's what can really make things start to get a little wonky so if you don't have a wine fridge or cellar, or you haven't invested in a, you know, even a little wine fridge yet, you want to find the place in your house, maybe it's a basement, maybe it's a closet under the stairs, where it's just cool, but most importantly has the least amount of fluctuation in temperature. That's also going to help when we talk about aging wine. And the reason that it's important to minimize that temperature fluctuation is because as we know, when things heat, they swell, right? Like our ankles in Orlando in July. <laughs> and when things are cold, they contract. So with temperature um, fluctuations, your cork can expand or contract. And then that can lead to um, oxidation, right? That can lead to it not being a sound closure anymore, too much oxygen is going in the bottle through the cork that has been compromised because of those temperature fluctuations. And that's what can really lead to a vinegar-like <laughs> situation happening in there. And then in regards to the cork as well, that's why it's important if you're going to store your bottles for any 
length of time, which I would say more than a few weeks, why they want to be stored um, on their side, right? Even if you don't have a wine fridge, think of how wine bottles lay in there. They're literally horizontal because you want to keep the wine in contact with the bottom of the cork. When you stand a wine bottle up, there is a little bit of space between where the liquid stops and the bottom of the cork starts. And so that can also lead a cork to dry out. So if you've ever opened a bottle and that cork is literally crumbling, (laughs) it's because it's dried out. So make sure that you're storing those babies on their sides. The third thing to think about is your preference for how your wine tastes. Because generally speaking, and this is going to be for red and white wine, when wines are young, meaning they were picked and, and bottled, you know, within the last couple of years, we're going to call that a young wine, the fruitiness about the wine is high. It's in the spotlight. It's in the forefront. It's loud. It's what we notice and what we celebrate about the wine, whether it's a white wine where you're getting yummy apple and pear notes, or whether it's a red wine that's like blackberries and cherries. The fruitiness about wine is in the spotlight when it's young. As most wines age, the fruitiness gets more diminished and more subtle. And the non-fruity things that we notice about wines, they come to the forefront. They trade places. So in older white wines, that can be like, ooh, it's like hazelnut or butterscotch or honey, non-fruit notes, right? And in red wines, it can be leather, smoke, tar, tobacco. I had a 2013 Cabernet Sauvignon last night from Napa Valley. And the first thing I got was mint, right? Or eucalyptus. We're going to call that a non-fruit note. So in older wines, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, the non-fruit notes, the smells and the taste about the wine that we would categorize as not fruity, they get louder. So does that mean the older wine is a better wine? Only if you like that (laughs) non-fruitiness about your wine, right? Now, if you drink wine because you love the fruitiness and it reminds you of juice or biting into fresh fruit, right, you probably want to drink your wines on the younger side. But if you think it's interesting when you take a sip of wine, you're like, oh, that's a familiar note. I don't, that reminds me of something. I'm not quite sure what that is. And you take another sip and it's like, oh, like my grandfather in Cape Cod had an old cigar box in the closet and we used to store our doll clothes in there and the smell of that old cigar box. I'm getting that in this wine and I like it. (laughs) That's a very specific and true one out of my brain. Then that is a reason why you age your wines, okay? Now, it takes time. It's not immediate. This change where the non-fruity things can come forward, especially in red wine, can take 10 to 15 years, right? So what I have found just in being lucky over you know, 15, 20 years of really being into wine and tasting a lot of wines that were five years old and 15 years old and 25 years old. I've even had a wine from my birth year, 1976. Where's the fruit on that? I have found that for my palate, because it's very subjective, I like it where the fruitiness and the non-fruitiness in the wine, they're equals and they meet in the middle. I find that interesting. I like the fruitiness about it. So I love California wines. It's why I live in California and make wine in California because California wines are just very fruit-driven, mostly because of our weather and our climate here. So for me, on most red wines, it's kind of like five to 10 years and they're singing in that sweet spot like that 2013 that I had last night. 
But that is personal preference. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of guidance just to kind of narrow in so you can start to understand. I have created a visual, almost like a graph, kind of snapshots this concept of fruitiness going down and non-fruit going up. And so in the show notes, um, if you click on the link for the free resource, you'll get my um, wine tips cheat sheet. It's just a free download, one cheater. But I created this graph that I think will bring to life what it is that I've been talking about here. So the chemistry of the wine is going to determine if it's something that you want to lay down, right? Acidity and tannin. Wines that are high in both of those, generally, they got the bones, they got the chops, they got the the structure to be aged. But one thing that also changes as wine is aging is the tannin or the tannic structure. Basically, tannin, which starts when the wine is young, is feeling really coarse and astringent and chalky and sometimes like fuzzy sweater on your teeth, that softens with time. Um, and those get silkier. And that has to do with you know some of the chemistry that's evolving in the bottle with tannin. So if there's a wine that you're like, I love the flavor of this wine, the taste of it, but I don't love that grip and that astringency, that is also a case to give that wine some age, six months, a year, two years, five years, um, and those tannins will really smooth out. If, point two, you have proper storage with consistent temperature lower than general room temperature. And point three, if you like that, if you find it interesting, right, to taste wines that have more of those, you'll hear the term secondary or tertiary notes. That's just a term that we used to talk about, the, the non-fruity smells and tastes that you can get in wine. So those are the three things that we talk about. The other thing that happens, all wine, red and white, ages to brown on the color spectrum. Has to do with the chemistry of the color compounds in the wine. So a white wine that's been aging for a while or maybe too long is going to look kind of brown in the glass. And a red wine, when I had that 1976 Cabernet Sauvignon, looked rusty brown in the glass because on the color spectrum, as the color is interacting with oxygen in the bottle, literally everything gets kind of that brownish tint. That's one of the ways that like when you watch the documentary Psalm, if you've ever seen that, or when you see someone who's studying for these sommelier exams, and the first thing they do is they look at the color of the wine and they can tell just from the density of the color and the hue. If it's a red wine that's very purpley, yes, that's a word, purpley, that is a big hint right there that that wine is younger, just based on the color and nothing else. Where if the wine is kind of feathered out in the color on the edges and a little more brickish or brownish, that's going to be a big clue as to the age of the wine. So um, it also does change the appearance of the wine in the glass. So hopefully that's helpful as well. So in preparation for today's Sip Spotlight. Sip Spotlight. It's a Sunday afternoon here, and I was like, let me see what I might have in my 300-bottle wine fridge, and let me just pull out a wine that's already here and use it to talk about age. This Abraxas, Vin de Terroir Abraxas, is a white blend from Robert Sinsky Vineyards. Now, Robert Sinsky, the tasting room, the winery is located in Napa Valley, but the vineyard location, which is on the label, says Scintilla Sonoma Vineyard. 
That's because where this is growing, Carneros is the south end of Napa, and this vineyard is located in Carneros. Carneros, interestingly, is partially in Napa and partially in Sonoma, um, which is cool. I don't know where this bottle came from. I think maybe this was a gift. It is a beautiful, tall, long neck bottle, and it has a glass topper on it, which is really interesting. You don't see that a lot. And we're going to talk about that affects aging too, right? What the what the bottle is closed in, is it a screw cap, is it a cork, or is it, in this case, a rare glass peg? Um, that affects the rate at how quickly oxygen passes through the bottle. And that's one of the things that changes the wine and evolves the wine and is sort of the catalyst of that reaction that we talked about with fruitiness going down and other notes coming forward. That's all driven by oxygen. And oxygen passes through different closures at a different rate. Generally speaking, and this is all being questioned and experimented with right now, but historically, um, a cork, which is bark of a cork tree, it's a natural product. Even if there's like a foil capsule over the cork, a cork has always let a very slow and steady amount of oxygen into the bottle, which typically ages wines differently than a man-made closure like a screw cap or a glass top. So that'll also ch change it as well. That's why historically most high-end wines, especially big, bold you know, Cabernets with a lot of tannin and a lot of acidity, so they're made for aging, are generally um, packaged with a cork um, because they're meant to be aged. And that cork allowing that little bit of oxygen to come through will help that process. So anyway, this bottle has a very, very tall, beautiful, elegant neck and this glass top. And Abraxas on the back label says, God of the 365 heavens. One wine, one vineyard, four grapes. This crisp and floral vin de terroir, wine of the earth is how I read that, captures the natural expression of the vineyard and the vintage. So it's Sunday afternoon. I'm recording this and I just opened this wine that I had. It's a 2015 vintage. So for a California white wine, we're going to call that age. That's got a little bit of age on it. And the four grapes that are in here are Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Blanc. So very cool blend of four grapes. And some of those grapes, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, they are in what we call the aromatic family of white grapes. So they just are known for having these really vibrant noses. Now, because this wine is a 2015, I would anticipate that that's going to be a little bit more muted than it would if this wine was a 2020, 21, or even a 22. So I just poured it in the glass, and the color is actually like kind of like straw, very pale straw. Ooh, and on the nose, it's like honeysuckle. That's the first thing I thought of, that honeysuckle bush in our backyard growing up in New Jersey. I love that note in white wines because it's nostalgic. This wine has weight and it has body. It feels viscous in my mouth, which is lovely. And it's not sweet. So just because you heard me say one of the grapes is Riesling, that does not mean that this wine is sweet. Riesling, just like any grape, can be produced with sweetness or the opposite of that, which is dryness. And this wine is mostly dry. There may be a, a hint of some sweetness on here, but I would put this wine at mostly dry. And it's very like 
honeydew, honeysuckle. There's a little bit of a, a honey note for me. It's really interesting. Um, if I was tasting this in a blind tasting, I would be stumped. I would be like, I don't even, I don't even know what this is. It's very unique. Um, there's a citrusy note on it. Maybe it's a little lemon, a little apple, but it definitely has like a, a creamy finish, not buttery, but creamy. And then this is what it has at the end when I take a sip. Listen. <laughs> what makes me make that lip smacking noise in my mouth under my tongue? The acidity. That tells me that this wine started with a good amount of natural acidity in it, probably because of the region, Carneros, where it's growing, cooler temperature, which generally drives higher levels of acidity. And that's why even though this is a 2015 white wine, man, it's beautiful and it's still alive and it's still vibrant, but it has a little of that sort of honeyed quality to it, which is delicious. On Robert Tinsky's website, they talk about, and I will now second after tasting this, how this is a really great pairing wine with, they call it the sort of cuisine of the world, like Mexican and Indian and Thai and, you know, foods that generally have some spices to them. That can be a little tricky when it comes to pairing wine. Uh, like, I love a big, bold, red, dry California Cabernet Sauvignon, but if I'm eating spicy food with lots of like Thai chilies, I got a mouthful of that and I go back to my my California Cabernet. It's like, ooh, the fruit is gone and it's bitter. So this is a really, really lovely white blend that could be a, a very nice pairing to some food with some heat, curry or Thai or Mexican, which we eat a lot of all of those things in this house. By the way, it's labeled as a white blend and it has a proprietary name, Abraxas, because if a wine is 75% or more of one grape, then you can just call it that on the label. So the fact that you don't see Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Gewürztraminer, or Riesling on this label tells me it's not 75% of any one, and it's literally a blend of those four beautiful grapes coming together. So really delicious. I will put the link in the show notes um, if you'd like to purchase this wine from my affiliate partner, wine.com. Um, today, when I looked, they didn't have the 2015 in stock. That one might be a little hard to get, but there were some other vintages in there like 2018 and 2020 that could be really beautiful. It's a great price point. It's in the mid-30s to $40 a bottle, um, and I think this could be a really, really lovely bottle. If you live in a BYO state um, and you're going out for sushi or Thai or Indian food, I would bring this along really Lovely, surprising. And I happen to have this in my wine fridge. I mean, that's the beauty of being a wine nerd and acquiring wines over the years, whether it's purchasing ourselves or gifts or whatever it may be. Um, I have this in the wine fridge. It's great. So to recap, how do I know if a wine is ageable and how do I know if I'm going to like it? What are the three things that determine it? A, the starting chemistry of the wine. Is it a wine that started with a higher amount of acidity or tannin? Generally, it's going to have some time to lay down. How do you know that? Use the app that I use, Vivino. That's the one where you scan the label. It'll pull it up and it can actually give you some idea about things like the tannin and the acid on the wine. Um, storage, right? Storage is an important part. That's going to determine if and how long you should lay a wine down. If you are finding yourself collecting wines and holding on to them longer than you're drinking, maybe time to invest in a small wine fridge. 
Um, and finally, your preference. If you know you like wines where the fruitiness is the superstar, drink them young. But in red wines, if you want the texture to soften a little bit, or in white wines, if you like that sort of nutty, honey, almondy sort of note to come forward in a lot of white wines, that will happen with time. I hope you found this helpful. Again, link in the show notes for the free cheat sheet that has a visual graph that I've created about this concept. If you have questions or have other topics you'd like us to address in the future, you can reach out to me at Nikki at sipwithnikki.com. Link in the show notes to get this beautiful Sinsky Abraxas, this white blend. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review and share. And I hope you found this helpful. Well, there you have it. I hope that you found this helpful and that you'll remember those three points that help to determine ageability of the wine, chemistry, storage, and your taste. If you'd like to grab the cheat sheet that I've created with a graph about aging, go to sipwithnikki.com forward slash resource, and I will send it right to your inbox. And if you'd like to order this beautiful Robert Sinsky Abraxas white blend that we talked about, follow the link in the show notes for my affiliate partner, wine.com, and we can have it shipped right to your door. Finally, if you liked this, share this with someone who might be wondering the same thing about aging. Please like and follow and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. And if you have any suggestions or questions for next time, you can reach me at Nikki at sipwithnikki.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, buy me a glass of wine, buy producer Catherine a bourbon, or just help us with our operating costs, there'll be a link here to support the podcast, and we would be so grateful. Until next time, sip well. Sip with Nikki is hosted by Nikki Lamberti. Production and sound mixing by Catherine Bryan. You can always send your listener questions to Nikki at sipwithnikki.com or find us on the Sip with Nikki Facebook page or visit us on Instagram at Nikki Lamberti. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to sip with you. This is Sip with Nikki, a production of Take 10 Studios.